All right, friends, um, get your Bibles out. We are, we're, we're going to stay in this theme from last week about the mission, God's heart for, God's heart for the world, God's heart for the lost. We were there last week. If you were not here, I talked about my time in Nepal. I shared just some insights to that. Uh, this week, we're looking um, again at this idea of evangelism and mission, and then next week, the third week, we're going to unpack some very specific ways that you can um, be involved in God's mission for the world. Some specific um, um, sort of tools that you can use for, for, your own, um, for your own engagement with the lost. I'm excited. I'm really excited about next week. It's like the Lord downloaded a lot of next week stuff this week. So hopefully this week <laughs> isn't empty. Uh, your Bibles, get those out. We are, we're a little bit all over the place, but we'll land in a few places. I, I, and I'm going to repeat some of this um, as well. Let me recap last week. I think I may have the slide up as well, because these are, these are statistics that, are, that really made an impact on me um, significantly whenever I began to put these together. There are 7.76 billion people in the world. That's a pretty good approximation give or take a, you know, give or take a few million. The one-third rule roughly says that a third of those are, 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 are of the Christian faith to whatever degree of commitment or devotion you might want to say. Another third of those would be uh, individuals of other religions that have heard of the Christian faith, but for whatever reason have said, that's okay, no thank you, Jesus. We would prefer to be Islam or Buddhist or Hindu or, what, or, or atheist or agnostic or whatever. So that's two thirds. The other third of that group of 7.76 billion would be individuals that have never heard the gospel never been engaged with the gospel. So one-third have said yes, one-third have heard it and said no. There's another full third of the human population on the face of the planet that have not even heard the, the name of Jesus, the, the story of, the, of, of, of his death and resurrection, not had a chance one way or the other to say yes or to say no. That's, that's pretty astonishing to me. Um, there are approximately 17,400 poopal groups so much for spell check. It's my editor. That's me. 17,400 people groups on the face of the earth. Of those, 7,400 are, are unreached with the gospel. It's a little less than half of the people groups on the face of the earth are unreached. They've had no gospel presence whatsoever. No missionary has visited them. No Jesus films, nothing. And the majority of those people groups, about 95%, live in what we call the 1040 window. That's this uh, window sort of that goes along the top of the equator in the south, like this belt around um, parts of, of, of the, the eastern world. It would include most of Asia and North Africa and the Middle East. Um, and less than 1% of missionaries engage to that area for those people groups. If we have 100 people, only less than one of them will say, hey, I'm going to go to the unreached people groups of the 1040 window. That's a pretty sobering statistic for me when I saw that. Um, so let's, I want to look at this now. This is Christianity, the church in America uh, the most recent statistic is around 330 million people in our beloved 
nation. 71% of those would be self-professing Christians. If you were to ask them, you know, are you a member of a particular faith? Seven out of 10 would say, yes, I, I am a member of the Christian faith. That would include Catholics and Protestants. That would include devote, devoted believers like, like you and I. It would include non-devoted believers, uh, people who just check off uh, a, a block, uh, check off a box. But seven out of 10 would say, yeah, I belong to this faith. Less than half of those belong to a church. And this is, a, this is a, a, a change in the culture only in the last several years. Up until, uh, up until the early 2000s or so, the majority of people in America would be attending a church, belonging to a church. Now that statistic has changed. Now um, churchgoers like you and I are in a minority in America. 25% would consider themselves to be practicing Christians ones who attend church regularly, uh, pray you know, regularly, read their Bibles regularly. 25 would, would be self-professed Christians. 80% of churches in America are plateaued or declining. Eight out of 10 churches in America, in terms of attendance and growth, have plateaued or are losing members. So it's... Virtually every researcher and scholar has said for about the last 20 years, we are in a post-Christian nation. Let me read one more statistic about the church in Lexington. There's approximately 320,000 people in our beloved city. Um, there are about a little over 200 churches, about 210 if you include um, synagogues and mosques, but the majority of these would be Christian churches, about 200 of those. The average attendance, this is a, a very conservative guess. The average attendance of churches in the U.S. as a whole is 75 people per church. That includes places like, you know, the West Coast and urban areas. We're in the Bible Belt. We're a much more religious group. So let's double that. Let's pretend like our 200 churches in, in Lexington, let's take out Southland because they're kind of their own solar system with 20 gazillion people. Let's take them out of the equation. The rest of the churches, for the sake of argument, let's say that the average attendance is 150. That means that there are 280,000 unchurched people in Lexington. That's a bunch. I want to say this. God's mission is our mission. His heart is our heart. We cannot be a presence-centered church and not be a great commission church as well. So if you're here at King's Church long enough, you'll hear us talk about presence. It's on our website. It's on the little flyer that you get. That's our, that is our driving ambition. Some weeks we, some weeks we do a better job of, of receiving the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Lord than others. Sometimes our crustiness gets in the way. But in our hearts, this is what we want more than anything else is for the presence of God to come and to be here every time we gather. Someone say amen. That's what we want, right? However, if we, 
if we are a presence-centered church but, and not a great commission church, then we're not really a presence-centered church because the more that we get into the presence of God, the more that we experience his heart, his heartbeat for the world. The more that you encounter God's heart, the more you begin to realize, you know what? There's a lot of people out there that have an encounter of God. We need to go out. So, um, so we, are, are, we want to be a presence-centered church and a great commission church as well. And that's, what I, that's one of the shifts that I feel like the Lord is, is calling us to here in 2022 is to begin to, we're not going to make, these are not major program shifts, none of these kind of things. I'm not talking about that. This is just, you know, having a heart that not only redirects up, but also redirects out. So there's a couple of some scriptures I want to point you to. I want, to look, I want you to look for a common theme in these. Um, and then I want to give you some, some um, three quick points. Three themes in these. Let's go to... Um, Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter, chapter 60 says this. I'll read it. Actually, someone else can read it. Who wants to read this? Stand up where you are and just belt it out loud. Anybody got a good projecting voice? James, come on, man. You got a good projecting. You want to read it? <laughs> Put him on the spot. 60 verse 1, 2, and 3. Come on, that's awesome. All right, so this is a prophetic promise to the people of Israel when they are in captivity. Arise, shine, for your has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the people. Man, tell you what, that is true. Go to places like, take your pick. Go to, go to, go to Delhi, India. Go to Beijing. Go to Paris, France. Go to L.A. and San Francisco. Step outside in Lexington, Kentucky. Darkness covers the earth. Thick darkness over the people. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your... And kings of the brightness of your dawn. All right, that's the first one. You guys got that? John chapter 12, verse 46. John 12, 46. Somebody want to read that? Y'all don't be shy. Come on. This is fun. John 12, do 44 through 46. John 12, 44 through 46. Awesome. Come on. I've come as a light in a dark world. This translation says, I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. All right, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. 
So by the way, that was Jesus speaking to people. This is during his ministry. So we, we just read Isaiah 60. That was about 400 years before the time of Jesus. A prophecy that one day light would come upon the nation of Israel. You guys got that? Prophecy. They're not right now. Right now in the time of Isaiah, they're in trouble. They, 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 made some, they had some rebellion. They got taken into captivity. But God sends this prophetic word that says, one day you're going to arise and the light, of the, the, the light is going to shine upon you in a dark place. Now we fast forward for 400 years. Now the time of Jesus. Jesus stands up in the, in the middle of his ministry, in the middle of Jerusalem and says, I have come as light in the darkness. He says that. All right, now go Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. It's an easy one. It's really short. You are the light of the world and town built on a hill cannot be hidden. You are, who's he talking to? talking to us. Yeah, exactly. This, this, this teaching is from what we, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. This is when Jesus is sort of he's teaching all these people out here, and he's, he's teaching them. He's this is the nature of the kingdom, the nature of who I am and the nature of who you are. And he looks at them. He says a couple things. He says, you're the salt of the earth. You ever heard that described to people like men? Usually, like, you know, if you go to a funeral, oh, that, that, he was just the salt of the earth. You know, you ever hear that describing people? You know, there's just a good, old-fashioned, hardworking man. It came from Jesus. He said, you are the salt of the earth. And now he says, you are the light of the world. A city set up on a hill. You can't hide it. He would have been referring to, in his mind, he would likely have been referring to Jerusalem, the city that was built upon the hill. And, and, and when at the height of these festivals, when all the lights and all the torches and all the things were just ablaze and ablaze and ablaze, if you were to go back kilometers away from the city, you would just see this glowing city right there on a hill. And Jesus says, look, that's you, church. That's you, disciples. You're that way. I've placed you up here to be light under the darkness. All right. That's uh, Matthew chapter 5. Now, 2 Corinthians 4, the last one. 2 Corinthians 4. Chapter 4, verse... Hold up. 4 through 6. All right. Somebody want to read 4, 4 through 6. So now Paul writes to the churches. It begins this same theme. It says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Verse 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. A couple things that I'm, that I'm thinking about. Obviously, what's the common theme in all of these? Right. And light, light's a funny thing. 
if, if we were to turn these off, we won't do it, but if we were to turn these off and turn off these wall sconces and disconnect power to the exit lights and shut off all of the keyboards and the equipment that have the little LEDs in there. And if we were to take black paper and tape over the doorways. Have you ever experienced absolute darkness? It's very disconcerting, isn't it? It's very disconcerting. We're not used to that. Our, our, our minds, our eyes are, are not, we're, we're disoriented. You know, we begin to kind of lose our, our understanding of where we are in the world. But what's amazing is how, how little light it takes to illuminate in total darkness. I would say, you know, that if this were absolute total darkness, we could take my phone that I don't have and put it on its lowest setting and it would create enough light for you to see most of the stuff on this stage. Is that because my light is the most amazing power with five million lumens? No. It's because there's such a contrast between total darkness that in total darkness, the light shines the brightest. So I'm thinking through this, this, this imagery is of, 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 of how God wants his people to view themselves. And one of those is clearly light. That's what Jesus describes himself as, the light of the world. So it's, it's not a stretch to say that the darkness is getting darker in our world. But I agree with that, that things are just getting worse. And the level of spiritual darkness is just increasing with every passing generation. And my grandparents thought it was pretty, pretty dark during the times of their of their day and my father would have thought it was dark and now I'm thinking wow this is significantly worse than they've ever imagined um, darkness is getting darker established truths are now being questioned fundamentally being questioned things that our previous generations took for granted are being called into question truths about reality the presence of God, the nature of God, the, 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 the nature of personhood. What does it mean to be a person? What does it mean to be a male and a female? Things that for most of human history were established truths now are being deconstructed. Um, the church as a whole has failed to offer much hope. Ask the average person on the street, what do you think of when you hear the word church? They will talk about several things. They'll talk about the, the, the sexual abuse scandals that have been plaguing churches. They'll talk about financial scandals and power grabs. They'll talk about televangelists and private planes, money missing. They'll talk about... Um, Many, many things besides the gospel. And the church has failed to offer much hope. And we failed to offer the, the, the depth and the full counsel of God's word. We've offered many, many shallow things instead. 
We've offered sort of therapy for people to have healthier, better lives, but that's about all that we've offered them. And the world knows that. So the churches have done very little to, um, to offer much hope. There's also no cultural pressure to be religious. We looked at these statistics. Those of you that are over the age of 70, it was, it was sort of common in your day. Everybody went to church, you know. There was a, there was a pressure to sort of to conform to the religious culture of your day. That those, those days are gone. There's no religious, there's no pressure to conform to, um, to, to, to be religious. And more people are leaving the church than ever before. As a response to all these things that I've mentioned, more people are leaving the church than ever before, especially... Um, especially those under the age of, of 30. Every generation is seeing an exodus from the church. That's hard news. It's not a surprise to the Lord. It's a surprise to, to some of us who've looked at this. But here's, here's God's plan to fix it. Are you ready? Three words, three letters is God's plan to fix it. Y-O-U. I put me in there too. You are God's plan. You are God's plan to be the light of the world. And three things have happened so that God can accomplish his plan through you to the world. You and I, we are, we are God's plan A. We are it. You remember, I keep talking about war movies. I talk about war movies all day long. You know, I don't remember a specific one, but, it, but inevitably, they all end up being something like this. There's a unit of soldiers, you know, and they've been sent somewhere to, 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 to hold some hill. You know, and they've been fighting out, they've been fighting out, they've been losing men, they're out of ammo, and they, they send out word, hey, we need more ammo, and they send more ammo in. All of a sudden, the word comes from the general, hey, by the way, we've lost every other place. You are the last holdout. Don't lose that hill. This whole battle depends on you guys right there. You remember those movies? Uh, it wasn't just movies, it's reality. There's many things that have happened in, 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 in history, in war history, where, where the whole thing turned on, on one battle, on one campaign. I think of Gettysburg, the Battle of Gettysburg in the Civil War. The whole, the, whole, the whole battle, the whole war turned on that one event in Gettysburg. And I would suggest that that one whole battle of Gettysburg, if you know history, really depended on one skirmish in one small area of that battlefield. Think about the whole... The whole, the, whole, the whole conflict depending on just a few people holding their ground. That's what God is saying. You are God's plan. So there's three things that, are, that, are, that have happened that, have, uh, that God has put in motion for us to do this. If we're going to be a great commission church, we need to understand that these three things are they're, they're true. They're vital to who we are. The first one is this. There's been a transfer of, uh, there's been a transfer of, what's my word? Go ahead assignment. I forgot what it was. There's been a transfer of assignment. Let me read this to you from John chapter 17. It may be up here. Go ahead. Is it up here? No, it may not be. It's okay. John chapter 17. Jesus is talking. 
he's praying to the Father. This is on his sort of his last, uh, you know, the moments before he's being arrested, the moment before he's, he's, he's going to be crucified. He's praying to the Father. He says this. He says, Father, as you, as you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. So who is the you here? God the Father. Who is the me and the I? Jesus. And who is the them? Us right here. So there's a transfer. Jesus says, Father, you sent me into the world. I came here on assignment from you. I was born of a virgin, took on flesh and blood. You know, I, 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 I sort of submitted myself to my parents. I, when I was a, a, a man, I began to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. I began to cast out demons and heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom. I began to call disciples. I went all the way to the cross. Father, I laid down my life and raised up again. You sent me on this mission. Now I'm about to send them. So there's a transfer of assignment here. I don't allow my kids to do that. You know, you ever delegate things to your kids? You know, like, hey, Cohen, listen, I, I want you to unload the dishwasher. And I'll come back like, you know, 30 minutes later and it's the dishwasher. And it's like, Cohen, what, what, what's going on? He says, I don't know. I told Lottie to do it. It's like, buddy, that's not how it works. You don't get to delegate. You don't get to reassign. Jesus gets to reassign. My kids don't. You know, so like he did his work and now there's a transfer of the assignment from him to us. So Jesus says, okay, I'm stepping back and it's time for my disciples, my church to begin to finish what I've started. So there's a transfer of assignment. Second one is this, there's a transfer of authority, a transfer of authority. Um, Matthew chapter 10 and Luke 9, they basically say the same thing. I will read I will read um, Matthew 10, but Luke 9 says this. They are, they're parallel passages. Luke, uh, Matthew 10, chapter 1 says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. I want to know what that conversation was like. Hey, guys, gather around. Gather around, guys. Come here. Matthew, Mark, or, or, or Matthew and James and John, Peter, come over here. All right. All right. Listen up, guys. You've been watching me do some amazing things, right? You've been watching me. Remember how I cast a demon out of that guy? Yeah, Jesus, that was awesome. Okay, listen. We're about to do the same thing. We're about to, we're about to go to these towns here, and we're about to cast out some demons and heal the sick. All right, let's do it, Jesus. Lead the way. And he says, oh, no, no, no. I'm not going this time. What do you mean you're not going this time? Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm going to give you the authority to do what I just did. So he transfers authority to his disciples. You're going to say, well, look, that's, you know, that's, that's just these 12. There's something special about these 12. Oh, no, 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 no. Because later on in the Gospels, it says he also called 72 to come in. And he did the exact same thing to the 72. The 72 aren't special. You never hear about the 72. You know, we don't, we don't call them, they're not sainted. There's nothing about the, the saint 72. These are just ordinary people that had said yes to Jesus Yes to his kingdom, yes to his mission, and we're willing to be used. And they said, here I am, Lord, send me. And Jesus says, okay, you come on up. You now have authority to go. You now have authority to go. You now have authority to go. And he transfers authority from himself onto the church. Matthew 28, 18. This is a very a famous one. We call it the Great Commission. He says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, says Jesus. This is before he lifts up, before he ascends into heaven. He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples of all the nations. 
And you think, well, what, is, what, is, what does authority of Jesus have to do with making disciples? Well, there's a transfer. We cannot do the second unless we have received the first. He's transferring authority for disciple-making from himself now to the church. Part of God's plan is, is to, first of all, to recognize that we have this, go back to these first two slides. We've got to, we've got to, to understand that this is not an option. The Great, Com- the Great Commission is not optional. It's not for the super spiritual ones who have tested on their spiritual gifts resume and they've come up with an evangelist. This is for every believer has this mandate to do the works of Jesus and to make disciples of the nations. Every one of us have this mandate. And he's, Jesus even given, he's given, he's given um, parables about this, entrusted certain, he tells a parable, he's given some, some, uh, you know, some measure of responsibility, calls it a talent, given some measure of responsibility to this individual, I'm giving a little bit more to this individual, I'm giving a whole lot to this individual, and in the parable, in the story, Jesus, the, the master goes away and comes back, and he says, okay, what did you do with the authority that I gave you? And one of them says, you know what? I, I, I took the responsibility, and I, and, I, and, I, and I invested it, and I doubled now your return. And the master says, that's awesome. That's fantastic. Here's, here's even more responsibility. You know, another one says, what did you do? Well, listen, master, I, I, I did the same thing. I, I, took the, I took the talents that you've given me, the responsibility you've given me, and I, and I invested it back into your kingdom. And now I have a whole lot of return. And the master was pleased. He goes to this other one. He says, what did you do? I gave you, you know, I gave you just, I basically gave you one responsibility. What did you do with it? And this one says, well, listen, I know how you are. I knew you were going to be pretty mad if I lost it. So here's what I did. I buried it in the ground. And guess what? I didn't lose it. Yay! And in the parable, the master says, you are a wicked servant. That's not what I expected you to do. That's not what I gave it to you for. So there's this assignment that all of us have the responsibility to say, yes, this is, I belong now to the kingdom of, to the kingdom of light. I've been called out of the kingdom of darkness. I belong to the kingdom of light. It's my responsibility now to build the kingdom, to serve the king. He's given us um, the authority to do that. Now, we can, um, whether, we, whether we know it or not, the authority is ours. Here's the third thing that's, that's part of this, is a transfer of power. And here's the beauty is we don't have this power without authority. We don't get this on our own. You know, like I, I gave this illustration, what, last week or so that was, you know, sometimes my daughter wants to go to ride her little bike into, into Wilmore and go to the dollar store and she wants to buy something and she doesn't have a card. She can't get a credit card or whatever debit card. And she says, dad, can I, can I borrow yours? You know, she's got some money that she saved up. It's in our savings account. She said, dad, can I borrow yours? And I'll give her, I'll give her this first Southern debit card. Whose name is on that? It's my name is on that. It's my account. You know, but she can go and she can take it in and she can swipe that card and have access to all of the wealth that's in my bank account because I've given her the authority to do that. And she's got now the power to make change in her life because of that authority. So transfer to power, Luke 24. Let's jump here. Luke 24. 
This is the end. Both, this is the end of Jesus' ministry. He is about to go. Luke 24 says this, verse 48. He says, you are witnesses of these things. He's been talking to them about his, about his ministry. Um, he says, verse 49, I'm going to send you what my father has promised. Jesus says this. He says, disciples, listen, I'm about to go. Y'all know that. I was dead, came back to life. I appeared to you. I've had a good time. We had some meals together. It's been 40 days or so. I, I got to go. But let me, let me give you, he says, you're going to wait for something that the father promised you. And they scratch their heads. What did the father promise us? I don't remember anything about that. And Jesus says, come on, guys, listen. What did the father promise in the, in, 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 in the prophets? That one day, the spirit of God would come and dwell in each one of you. Oh, yeah, yeah, we remember that now. He says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Stay here. Guys, listen, don't, don't go anywhere. Go back to Jerusalem. Wait there until this promise comes for you. So that's where they go. They go back there. They're in Jerusalem. They're waiting there. And he says the same thing a few minutes later in Acts chapter 1. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus has now transferred his power to the church. And this is, there's a whole other teaching that we're not going to get into But basically, the things that Jesus did, he did through the power of the Holy Spirit. Was he fully divine? Absolutely, he was. Was he fully human? Absolutely, he was. How does that work? I have no idea. But he was. But he was dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit to build the kingdom. He relied upon the power of the Holy Spirit. We know that. We know. We read the, 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 the Gospels. We see the Holy Spirit comes upon him at baptism. The Bible says the Holy Spirit dro drove him into the wilderness to be tested. At the end of that 40-day pass, the, the Bible says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. And he began to do ministry. So again and again and again, you see Jesus doing ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit, doing evangelism in the power of the Holy Spirit, doing healing, deliverance, all these things in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and it's, it's, so it's like, it makes perfect sense. And now at the end of that, he's not only transferring the assignment to us, the authority to us, but he's also going to transfer the power to us as well. He's say, okay, guys, listen, there's a mission that you need to carry out, but I'm going to give you everything you need for this. Transfer of assignment, transfer of authority, transfer of power. God has a heart to reach the nations. He has a heart to reach the villages of Nepal. I know this. I've heard his heart beat for them. He has a heart to reach the businessmen of Tokyo. God loves them. I was in a coffee shop in Kathmandu and I was walking by and I saw this blonde college student sitting there, short hair, didn't know her. I just felt God's love for her. I went up to her, started asking a question. She's a college student from Denmark. God loves the college students of Denmark. God loves and he wants to capture the hearts of Lexington as well. I believe that. 
I'm feeling his heart for that more and more. The longer I minister here, he wants to capture the hearts of Lexington men and women and boys and girls. He wants it. God wants free reign on places like UK campus. But his, his plan is to use you and I for that. We are his plan A, there's no plan B. There's no backup plan for evangelism. God's just going to say, fine, you guys blew it. I'm just going to sweep in and do everything. We are it. We're his plan A. So these 185,000 unchurched people in Lexington, if every church does nothing, does that number change? Now, I'm not diminishing the sovereignty of God. God speaks to people. You know, he does. He's waking up people in the middle of the night. He's giving dreams. He's encountering people. He's just, he's doing, he's doing what God always does. But his plan is to use you and I. So how are we going to do that? Um, I want to I unpack more of this next week. I am some, some practical things that I want us to, to begin to do individually and corporately. But it comes down to, to really to three things. One, let's, let's go deeper in, in being a praying church and praying for the lost. Praying for the lost. Not just generally speaking, but let's, we're going to go deeper in this in the season to come about being a praying church that, that gets in rhythm with the heart of God for the lost. And I want you to begin to, um, music team, come on up too. This is a good time to come on up as well. If you don't know anyone that's lost, That may be part of the problem. We've got to get out there. We've got to meet some ones. We also, um, we also want to practice immediate obedience. Obedience to his word and to personal prompting. As we begin to pray for the lost, we're going to begin to get in rhythm with God's heart. We're going to begin to sense promptings from the Holy Spirit regarding opportunities to share those with people. You're going to, you're going to sense it. And we've got to obey those. And I, I, will be, I will be the first among you, the very first to say, man, I'm not comfortable with all of that. I am introverted. I can be risk-averse. I want to do my own thing and just, it's not what God's called me to do though. That's not what God's called us to do. So when there's a prompting of the Lord to, to begin to, to connect with the lost, we practice immediate obedience. So those are two things that I grew up with a lot. Pray for the lost and share your faith. That's common. 
What wasn't common is this third one of exercising power and authority. And the role of power and authority in evangelism is often either overlooked or misunderstood. And I'm convinced, though, that that's the key to joyful, sustained evangelism is practicing it with power and authority. See, because when you, when you understand that you have, when you hear the heart of God for people, for someone, you know that you have the authority of the king to minister to them and the power available to minister to them. That's a whole lot easier. Meg and I, last week, we were going door to door. We're selling these cards. You guys know the, the fundraiser cards that we're selling for raising for a playground? Boy, it's a fun way to meet people. Take a cute kid with you, go door to door, raise money for a playground. I mean, you just can't beat that. Like, who, who says no to that? I think we had one person say no to it. Everybody else is like, sure, kid, how much you want? And be able to say after that, though, how can we be praying for you? And some of them just kind of give you a non-answer. Like, oh, I'm good, thanks. It's all right. Some of them say, you know what? You can be praying for this situation right here and be able to pray for them right there, you know we're driving away and we're passing someone that's on the side of the road. A young man's got the sign, you know, the sign, the cardboard sign. And Meg's like, we should stop and pray for him because she saw him stumble and fall like he had twisted his ankle. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, hot and tired. My car is having engine trouble. Let's just go home. But I'm married to Megan who hears the Holy Spirit deeply. So we turn around, we go back, and by then we're getting in, he's, he's like kind of going back to his vehicle, he's getting into his vehicle, and we flag him down, you know, and I had like $4 on me, you know, well, I'm not going to pray for the guy and not give him something, and I know all the arguments about all that, yeah, 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 I know all that stuff, whatever, you know, I had like $4 that somebody had made a donation for, I said, buddy, listen, this is all I've got is 4 bucks, but I saw you stumble and fall, can we pray for you, you know, and I turn around and Cohen is coming out of the car because Cohen loves to pray for people when he's not shy. I was like, Cohen, hey, buddy, you're going to pray for, for this, this, this man right here, this young man. I, he began to say he was a combat war veteran. He had PTSD um, and just was in all kinds of difficult situations. He was a really kind, articulate young man, you know, but he's been having pain in this, his foot for the longest time and just couldn't stand on it. So I said, well, let's just, can we pray for it? I said, have you ever, have you ever experienced healing before? He's like, never have. I said, well, listen, I believe God wants to heal you. God loves you, you know. Thank you for serving your country and God loves you. And I believe God wants to show you his love and heal your foot today. Can we pray for that? So we did. We prayed, prayed one time with Cohen. Cohen was there and, you know, and um, I said, How, how's it feel? You know, so that's what it, it's one of the things we do is ask, pray, expect something. Don't just pray and walk away. Pray and say, okay, how are things now? Guy's like, you know what? It's, it's okay. A little bit better. I said, no, we're going to pray again. <laughs> so we did. We prayed again for it. And 
you know, all of a sudden the guy kind of like stepped back. He said, man, what was that? I felt like heat on your hand and your little boy's hand. And it was like, he's like, man, I've not been able to, and he began to talk about things he's not been able to do. And he was just amazed that the pain was gone in that moment. You know? And Meg, Meg said, listen, you, know, you need to know that, that God loves you. He said, she said, do you know Jesus? He began to talk, yeah. He's like, yeah, I've been, I've been baptized, et cetera. You know? Talked to him a little bit more about it. Gave him a, a card, encouraged him just to follow up with us. I say all of that to say this. It's easier than we think to be liked. Because if you have no hope, this is really, really good news. It's easier than you think. If the world is totally dark, it doesn't take much to make a difference. It doesn't. So we, we pray for the lost. We're going to do that here momentarily. I want, to, I want to ask the Lord to call to your mind those in your, in your orbit that are lost. Not the ones that are, that, you know, I'm talking about going to church or not going. I'm talking about the ones that you know. Listen, that person is lost as a goose. They do not have the hope of Jesus. Bring those people to your minds. We're going to pray for them here. We're going to pray for them that God will orchestrate different dominoes in their life to bring them into the light. You're going to be one of those dominoes, but there'll be others. We're also going to commit ourselves to, to obedience, to his word, to what's the Lord saying to do. You're going to get promptings in the days to come for things. And you're going to say, I'm going to step out and do it. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Jesus already promised in three different places. Don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to say when the time comes. Even if it's nothing more than, you know what? I just want to tell you God loves you. And I'm praying for you. Even if it's nothing more than that, that's striking a match in darkness in somebody's life. And we're going to begin to walk in power and authority. You have it. You have it. And the Lord wants to increase that. And we're going to look at that next week about some specific tools that we believe that God wants to really begin to, to unpack and release on his church for evangelism. Let's stand together. Let me pray. Let's pray together. Bring these people to your mind. Bring the lost into your mind right now. Maybe it's a, 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 somebody in your family, a coworker, a friend at school, a colleague, a neighbor. Let's pray for them right now. So, Lord, we just ask, God, we ask for the lost, Lord. Your word says in, 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 in Psalm 2, ask for the nations, and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance, God. We ask for the lost of Lexington. And Father, we are a small church, God, but we take you at your word that we are your plan. We are your plan A. We're going to take our place, Lord, among these 200 churches to be a great commissioned church, Lord. So we just pray for these ones right now in our minds. Father, we pray that you, Holy Spirit, would, that, that you would send the Holy Spirit just to begin to draw these ones to yourself. We think, Lord, of, of, our, uh, of our neighbors, the ones who live next door to us across the street, the ones that we say hello to. Maybe we have a good relationship with them. Maybe, maybe we really, it, it's not that strong, God. But right now, we just pray that for the ones who don't know you, you will begin to speak their name and get their attention. Father, for the ones that we work with, God, pray that you would get a hold of them. Call them to yourself, Lord. 
Lord, we know we're, we're praying for some that are, that are in slavery to addiction right now across our city. Father, would you give deliverance to them, free them, free them from bondage and addiction. Father, we pray for those that have been wounded by the church and wounded by your followers, God. We pray forgiveness. We ask forgiveness, Lord, for your name's sake. God, we pray for opportunities to be light to the darkness. We commit ourselves, God. We commit ourselves to say yes to you or whatever the cost is. Lord, whenever you begin to prompt us to reach out, to make a phone call or a text or to say, to, or, or to speak to someone, Lord, even if we don't know them, Lord, your Holy Spirit's going to begin to prompt us and we're going to step out and say yes to you. We're going to say yes. We're going to go up and just, we know that you're going you're to give us the, the, the words that we need in that moment. It's easier than we think. And Father, we just pray for an increase of power and authority, an increase, Lord, of boldness. Right now, Lord, we just, we receive the authority of Jesus. We have that. And we choose to walk in it, Lord. We choose to walk in it today. We choose to exercise power today. We have everything we need, Lord. You've given us everything we need to carry out this work. So, Father, let your mission be our mission. Let your heart be our heart. For the sake of the world, in Jesus' name.